0: Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
1: I have been obsessed with the US versus China story for a couple of years now. I don't remember why or how it got on my radar, but man, I just I just suck up everything I can find about it. And uh, we talked to Josh Rogan a while back. This is something about COVID in China or something. Anyway, he's got a new book out, Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, G, and the Battle for the 21st Century. Josh Rogan is the global opinions columnist for the Washington Post. And, man, some great reviews. I just read the Wall Street uh, Journal review on this last night. Is one of the first great books on what is going to be the story for the next century or more, the U.S. versus China. Josh Rogan joins us. Josh, how are you, sir?
0: Hey, guys. Great to be back with you
1: um just in general my statement correct that this is maybe the biggest story in the world for the next century u.s versus china
2: yes not only is the u.s uh, uh china relationship the most important bilateral relationship of our lifetime that's increasingly obvious it's also the biggest story for every country in the world because every country in the world is now suffering through a coronavirus pandemic that originated in China. So there are 7 billion people who are suddenly quite aware of the fact that what happens in Beijing doesn't stay in Beijing, and that to some degree, and we can debate how much the actions and character of the Chinese Communist Party affect our lives, our national security, our public health, our prosperity in undeniable ways. So that's like an awakening that now it's not just you know certain people and everybody can agree on that now the question is what do we do about it
0: well we know the answer to this question but where do you stand on the issue of the origin of the coronavirus the lab leak theory uh the rest of it
2: you know i gotta tell you i i was the one of the first reporters in april 2020 to publish about the still unproven but very plausible theory that the outbreak was related to a mistake at one of these Wuhan labs. And, you know, for over a year, I was just amazed that no one would talk about it, that people would talk about it, would get insulted and and, and shouted down. And it was just crazy. And now here we are, 18 months after the outbreak, and there's still been no investigation. And my point is not that we know that it came from the lab. My point is we, we have to check it out. In other words, we can't rule it out, so we have to check it out. It seems like a pretty reasonable and obvious thing to say it's always seemed that way to me but now all of a sudden the mainstream media and uh different parts of the government including the biden administration are like oh wait a second you're telling me that there are a bunch of bat coronaviruses next to the outbreak we did not check out those labs that had all the bat coronaviruses that's crazy we should check it out so I'm not saying I, we know it came from the lab. I'm just saying we should probably check it out.
1: We do a lot of media criticism, and so we've talked a lot about the, you know, uh, whether it was uh, it was important to be anti-Trump and Trump was pushing the narrative or whatever it is in the media. But inside a government, that's what's fascinating to me. What was going on to your mind inside a government that was causing some scientists to ignore what seems like the most likely cause? or to actively cover right. it up?
2: That's right. They absolutely did that. And it's really important because you're right. It wasn't just the media that wanted to sort of dismiss the lab leak theory because they couldn't. They didn't want Trump to be right about anything. You know, like even the broken clock is right twice a day. The guy was bound to be right about something, whether you like him or not. And the media just couldn't deal with that. But inside the government, you had a couple of things going on. One, you had the scientists who were the closest to the lab and who were collaborators with the Wuhan Institute of Virology and all these other bad coronavirus labs in China. Uh, calling it a conspiracy theory to cover their own butts because they didn't want anyone to look into the lab because that would mean that we were looking into them. In other words, the lab leak theory doesn't just implicate China. It implicates all of our scientific collaboration with China because we built those labs along with the French. We gave them this technology. We taught them how to play around with viruses, and then they built another part of the lab that they didn't tell us about, and no one was watching it. And that's why the lab leak theory is so sensitive to the scientific community in the U.S. because it implicates us. It implicates Fauci and Collins and all these guys who are doling out the money that is going to these Chinese labs that no one was paying attention to. And that relates to what was going on inside the government because if you're the intelligence community, if you just think about it, the lab leak theory is true. Well, then that's bad for them too because they missed it because we spend $86 billion a year on intelligence stuff and zero of it was pointed at this network of risky labs doing risky research that was funded by U.S. taxpayers. And that's pretty awful if that's true. And that's why you, and then, of course, you know, the, some of the intelligence guys didn't like the Trump people and they didn't want them to be right either. And, you know, the media trusted the scientists and the intelligence guys trusted the same scientists. So it was like a perfect storm of B.S. And by the time we started to figure it out, it was all too late.
1: Do you, are you willing to call it a cover-up?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's several cover-ups. There's the, I mean, first and foremost, the Chinese Communist Party cover-up, which is not just about the origins, which is about everything. They covered up the scientists, they jailed the whistleblowers, uh, you know, they jailed the journalists, they kept all of the science that they had away from the internet. They continue to. To this day, they won't give us vital information that could help us in our response to this. They how the information that they have while our citizens are getting sick and dying, not just us, people all over the world. So that's the first cover-up. The second cover-up is the one by the American scientists uh, who are the friends of the lab, and that's all being revealed now in all these emails that are getting released. But we kind of knew it already. In other words, the scientists went around and they wrote all these papers in scientific journals that said, it's a conspiracy theory if you mention the lab. Right. Meanwhile, they were writing emails to each other, which were like, hey, the lab might be involved, we should probably check it out. So they were telling us one thing and telling themselves a completely different thing. That's the nature of the deception. That's a, that's another cover-up right there. You know what I mean? So there's two cover-ups.
0: Right. What is it about the nature of communist systems that uh, gives us a Chernobyl, that gives us a, an outbreak of the coronavirus? That's
2: a, really, that's a really good question, because this sort of relates to the overall theme of the book, right, which is that what we're dealing with here is a a party state that has no moral compunction, that will stoop to any level, do anything to protect its own political interests, which it places above everything else. So in other words, what we have to understand is that, first of all, the Chinese Communist Party is not looking out for us, for certainly, right? They're also not looking out necessarily for the Chinese people or even China's nation. They're looking out for the party. That means protecting the party. That means they will even subject their own people to horrendous suffering to protect the party. That's how you get a cover-up like this. That's how you could have a worldwide pandemic, and they're just like, no, what? Screw you. We're not going to tell you anything. What are you going to do about it? That's their attitude, right, which is shocking and horrible, right? The other thing it tells you is that, you know, when when they're setting up all of these engagements with us, whether it be scientific engagement or academic or political or trade, they're thinking about how to weaponize those engagements against us. So that means, like, Fauci and Collins and all these scientists who are like, how could these Chinese researchers do something bad? They're just trying to do research, and we're trying to save, save the world, and, you know, that how they wouldn't do that. But what these American scientists don't realize is that in their system, in the CCP system, the scientists don't get to make those decisions. It's all controlled by the party, and the party will do anything, including let billions of people get sick and die, if they think it's in their political interest for their time being and that's exactly what happens
1: the book is chaos under heaven trump in the battle for the 21st century we're talking with josh rogan who's a, a global opinions columnist for the washington post so you think the big mistake was our scientists trusted the chinese
2: not only did we trust we didn't verify it's one thing to have a collaboration it's another thing to let it just grow into a 200 million dollar network of labs that no one's watching not the intelligence community, not the scientists, not the government. And of course they took that technology and built another side of the lab with their military. That's what we now know. That's not a Trump administration claim alone. That's what the Biden administration confirmed. We we built up a huge virus research industry in China and they took it and then they built another side of the lab, those side we didn't know about, with their military to do god knows what. Okay. And and that's that's a perfect recipe for a disaster and you know yeah i could say that like you know the american scientists maybe they truly believe that their chinese scientists friends uh wouldn't do that to them but then they're horrendously naive god i and say when the, when, when the pandemic hit it was all the people who understood china who knew who knew what the score was and it was the national security people who really understood the nature of the ccp who looked at their actions and said of course they're lying of course they're hiding because that's what they did in the SARS epidemic 12 years pro- or 20 years prior. They just did it again. The problem was the first time it only killed 8,000 people. This time it killed 3.5 million accountants.
0: When we come back with Josh Rogan, uh, we want to talk uh, more specifically about the battle for the 21st century, uh, chaos on Trump, she, and the battle for the 21st century being the title of the book, and and how interesting it is and notable that 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 break, that pivot to open rivalry uh, took place during the Trump administration of all time. So, Josh, if you can hang on, we uh, we're going to get right back to it in moments. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty.
1: Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. On a personal privilege, get brazen with me. The Armstrong and Getty Show. If you missed our first segment with Josh Rogan about his book "Chaos Under Heaven: Trump, G, and the Battle for the 21st Century," go to the podcast at ArmstrongandGetty.com because we got in specifically to a lot of the uh, the coronavirus and the origins and the cover up, not just by China but by our own damn scientists as to how this whole thing started, which is really really troubling. Josh, I don't know if you're familiar with the book 100-Year Marathon by Pillsbury. We've uh, we've talked about that sure. a, a b- book a lot and um his argument and he was with the, the 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 Nixon administration is going back to Nixon opening China. China has been playing us this entire time and we thought, "No, no, no, this is good news." But they they knew what they were doing all along. Did Trump in his unique way uh did he open the eyes of people in America and to the world of what China is really up to, do you think?
2: I think the administration uh, did a lot of that work, and it was really important. Of course, it wasn't all good. Some of it they did uh, in a pretty chaotic way. That's why my book is called Chaos Under Heaven. But, yeah, I know the book 100-Year Marathon, and and Pillsbury is in in my book, too. And, you know, the bottom line is that, you know, we had this 40-year, 50-year bet that if we just engaged the Chinese Communist Party as much as possible and integrated them into our system as much as possible, that they would liberalize and become more like us, first economically and then— Politically, and that would solve all of our problems if we could avoid the Cold War and all that. Uh, and whether or not you think that was a good bet or a bad bet, Pillsbury thinks it was a bad bet. Other people say that was a reasonable bet to make that time. My view is it doesn't really matter. Now we just have to realize that the bet has failed. Not because we weren't nice about it, not because we weren't good intentions, but because China decided to go another way. And especially since Xi Jinping came to power, they're taking China in the opposite direction. And they're becoming less liberal and more repressive and more aggressive. And and then they're also interfering in our free and open societies. And we can't have that. And so now, whether or not you think it was good or bad bet, We have to realize that that that's over and we have to have a new strategic response. And I think that's what you see the Biden administration actually saying very clearly. That doesn't mean we're doing it, but at least we're saying it, which is
0: the the first thing. So that pivot from frenemies to openly rivals, it was going to happen. It had to happen. Was there something about Trump and his personality that that accelerated the timetable?
2: Absolutely. You know, the thing about the Trump administration is that they didn't care about, you know, what were sort of like the rules of Washington and that those rules of Washington constrained U.S.-China policy for all this time because the China issue was run by the the China experts, and they're the ones who got us largely into this mess in the first place. So it just opened the Overton window of what was possible inside the government. And then, uh, of course, there were a lot of competitions, and not everybody inside the Trump administration agreed on China. You know, people like uh Mike Pompeo and Steve Mnuchin totally disagreed but the point is that all of new things all of these new things were on the table and so all of a sudden you started to see confronting china in our schools and in our capital markets and even in hollywood and in the tech industry and i'm not saying it all went perfectly i'm just saying that all of those options were now at least being explored and now uh, the Biden administration is trying to step through them to see which parts of the Trump-China policy they want to keep and they want to discard it. And they're actually keeping a lot more than you would have thought, right? If that that should be a sign, you know, that they're the Biden people who are like hate all the Trump stuff on all the other countries, they hate the Trump, you know, Russia approach. They hate the Trump-Iran approach. But on China, they're basically continuing most of it. Uh, that means uh, they probably saw a lot of it in, in there. That was uh, pretty good.
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting that for all the talk in the media and, you know, on the campaign trail about how awful Trump's approach was, the tariffs are still in place. A lot of the stuff's still in place, um, this far into Biden's presidency. Um, where, oh, I just keep thinking that the, the, the break is going to come with U.S. businesses in China and it's inevitable too. Like Joe said, it was inevitable. We went from frenemies to enemies. At what point do, does the NBA, does Apple, does everybody just have to stop doing business with China? Do you think that's coming?
2: Yeah, no, I think the business community is still split because I think and I think the fight over this inside the Biden administration is still coming. Like they haven't appointed a lot of the people in like Treasury and these places. Those are the people who are going to push back and say, no, 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 no. We just got to get rid of the tariffs and go back to business to avoid the Cold War, whatever nonsense they're going to come up with. And so I think in the business community, first of all, have the companies that are corporate hostages, right? Like the Apple's and the NBA. And they they know they've got a problem. Right, they're making money in China, but for how long? You know, and the squeeze is is on. You know what I mean? So, I think we should actually help those companies not get bullied around by the CCP. Uh, then the, on the other side, there's the financial services companies which are pushing for more engagement because they're uh, have a corrupt interest in in getting out of this Cold War thing. So, if you look at the Goldman Sachs's and the Bloomberg Barclays and the MSCI and the Morgan Stanley's of the world. Uh, they're pumping money into China and taking Chinese money hand over fist because uh, they're pushing back against this realization that we're in this competition. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a problem, actually, a problem that we have to be
0: really clear-eyed about. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's going to be like, you know, decoupling with China is going to be like giving up meth, heroin, and smoking all on the same <laughs> week. I mean, it's going to be an enormous disruption.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, you have so many American elites on both sides of the aisle who are thoroughly compromised, who are corrupted, who are making money on both ends and have an interest in telling us that their national security threat is fake and that it's all just, you know, Mike Pompeo, Donald Trump, Cold War nonsense. But, you know, to them, I would say, well, then you have to accuse the Biden administration of being part of that, too, because uh, they're saying that the threat is real. They're saying that we have to have some limited decoupling, not total decoupling, but some limited decoupling. To protect ourselves so that, you know, the next time the Chinese Communist Party gets mad about a tweet, the entire NBA doesn't suffer. Or the next time that there's a pandemic, that they don't have all their masks, all the masks in the world that they hang over our heads to tell us to shut up about the origin of the coronavirus, which hey, is exactly what happened.
1: Josh, I want to jam in one more question. Your book is Chaos Under Hub Trump, Xi and the Battle for the 21st Century. This is short. Is it inevitable that China, China took Hong Kong? Are they going to take Taiwan? We nothing inevitable, but
2: the, nothing's inevitable, but the threat is rising. And what I say is that the best way to ensure their aggression is to do nothing and that their appetite grows with the eating. And we've seen that appeasement doesn't work. So if we, don't, if we want to avoid them taking Taiwan, then we have to stand up for Taiwan now. We have to do that now. We have to support Taiwan more now. And I hope the Biden administration will do that soon. Hey,
1: Josh, thanks for your time. The great book, Chaos Under Heaven, Trump Sheen, The Battle for the 21st Century. We hope to have you on again. That was good stuff right there. Yeah, thanks a million. Wow, great conversation.
0: Armstrong and Getty.
1: I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. Are you tired of gulping down the lying filth of
0: the mainstream media? Yeah, we are too. We try to tell you the truth every
1: single day. Gulping down lying filth. Wow. Nobody wants to sound dumb. Our goal is to help you not sound dumb. We'll inform you and it'll be fun at the same time. You don't have to choose between entertainment and information. Combine them both with the Armstrong and Getty show. Armstrong and Getty on demand. Four episodes available every day via the iHeartRadio app or wherever you download your podcasts.
0: Mailback. Hey. Note from Charlie here. Guys, as to the question of inf- is inflation transitory? Hey, uh, life is transitory, President Brandon. <laughs> wow. it's a good point. Everything's transitory now that you mention it. The sun is transitory.
1: Let's go, Brandon.
0: All right. Uh, let's see, uh, Robert writes, love you guys, love you. I remember the feds invoking wage and price freezes during previous eras of inflation. Is this administration desperate enough and feeling powerful enough to use executive orders to do that again? I, I don't know. I gotta believe the courts would intervene, but uh, that's a good question. Not really up on executive order inflation law, Manusheim. Got an idea for a new t shirt, writes Pete. Just sitting here minding my own business, having a late dinner. That's interesting. Uh, Gavin Newsom, the lunkhead governor of California, is not a fan of the late dinner. He's no. more. More, you know, your your.
1: We had an early dinner.
0: That, that's more. Of, that has that's his style. Uh, just sitting here, dinner minding my own business. That's that's right. Met, and had a great idea for new AG T-shirt just in time for the holidays. Here it is. What he suggests: Wokeism is fascism pretending to be enlightenment. Wow, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I don't know about the T-shirt,
1: but just as a uh, sentiment, as a phrase, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he says, uh, if you guys use it, all I ask is a free T-shirt for my sweetheart and me and maybe one of Jack's goats because my yard is a wreck.
1: Wokeism is fascism pretending to be the enlightenment. That's good. Or
0: enlightenment in general. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I found this so interesting. Ryan from Houston writing, guys, Joy Reid and others on MSNBC have basically declared that the Klan is now in charge in Virginia. Others claim Mansion and Cinema are holding back votes that votes that will save the country and save millions of people. Not to mention the soulless Republicans who are closer to Nazis than Americans. Two corrupt politicians lining their pockets while millions will be heard. Untold numbers will die. Sounds like drastic matters need to be taken. If the Klan is really running a state, should we just sit back and wait patiently to vote them out? You don't want to wait to vote the Klan out. You don't negotiate with Nazis. And his theme is, I'm going to summarize here, isn't this absolutely advocating violence or or trying to whip it up?
1: Ah, God, I would certainly think so if your response to the Klan running a state is not uh, to try to get them out of there.
0: Well, this seems to me, I mean, if if there is not a crazy person who would hear that and go shoot up another Republican baseball practice or something. uh, uh, You know, if you believe what's being pitched on MSNBC, for instance. You almost have a responsibility to take extreme measures. So irresponsible. And they get a pass so much from so much of their liberal media. Although Matt Taibbi has just been beating the hell out of MSNBC lately. Uh, he considers that an, embar- an embarrassment because they are. And then this from Al Anonymous. Guys, isn't it true that Native Americans didn't have a concept of land ownership? Isn't that what we've been taught? So that's true. How could someone take something from them that wasn't owned in the first place? Wouldn't the same hold true that when holding a conference, you need to acknowledge anyone who was in
1: the venue before you? They didn't own it. They just occupied it before you. That's funny. You're in the big, uh, you know, the uh, the Velvet Room there at the Ramada Inn. We're here in the room where last week it was the insurance convention, and the week before that it was the boaters' convention. First, we need to acknowledge that Herbalife occupied this room,
0: (laughs) followed by exactly the Boat Accessories Convention of 1984, followed by the Cub Scout Jamboree of later in 1984, and then six and a half hours later you can start your meeting. Well, as uh, John McWhorter has pointed out uh, in interviews promoting his fabulous new book, Black Racism, and we have a clip that we're getting ready for you. He points out that a lot of this stuff is not meant to help anybody in any way. Not for a second does anybody sane think that it's going to be of aid to anyone. It's Merely signaling that I know racism exists, and look at me, I'm a good person. That's all it is. Uh, you know, as I uh, probably distastefully
1: uh, described it Friday, it's it's self-pleasurement in front of others. That was distasteful. It's Jeffrey Tubining That flew on a Friday. I don't expect that kind of talk on a Monday. Certainly um, not. I was amazed at how many texts, tweets, emails we got from people say, oh, yeah, my company's been doing this for the last year. Wow. I, yeah. I had no idea.
0: You know, Jack, when you're broadcasting from home, you probably should have acknowledged... Acknowledge, I need to acknowledge that uh, this home was owned by the Jones family before me, and before that, the McGillicuddy's. Well, I'm going to... four in a, in a, beautiful children. <laughs> I was in a rental, so I'd have to go through a whole bunch of people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was some jerk named Smith who didn't pay his rent uh, between April and June of 1998. Anyway, moving along, uh, Timmy, uh, writes, uh, hey, uh, guys, um, da, 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 the, the whole story that critical race theory isn't taught in school. Like you guys, it's nothing but a semantics game, very much like the, we never funded game of research, uh, gain of function research defense. There's a lot of that going on lately. Full throated, emphatic denial because something doesn't fit a very precise technical definition, even though it does by any reasonable standard. Uh, Tim Poole, philosopher, online wag, uh, likes to call it critical race applied principles. I think James Lindsay calls it critical race praxis. While not theoretically fitting the law school definition of critical race, there it's teaching the exact same principles by another name, by teachers who have been trained to expert levels in CRT, but you already knew that. Uh, it's a good point. I like, cr- well, critical race praxis is nice. It's a little highfalutin in the college campus. See, that means essentially in practice, right? Effectively. Critical race effectively. Thank you for the point. Speaking of great points made, Tammy writes, wait a minute. As I caught up on last week's chunks of the show I missed, that's right. If you ever miss a portion of the show, you can go to wherever podcasts are downloaded or go to armstrongandgetty.com and get Armstrong and Getty On Demand. It's the radio show repackaged as a podcast. Anyway, uh she says, as I was catching up, I was shocked to hear Jack saying soup. Sounded good. It was during Final Thoughts. Alex mentioned he brought a coworker soup. Jack said it sounded good and was upset people were bringing in soup when he was stuck at home. I pray mm. it's just COVID fog, not that Jack has been lying to us all these years. What's
1: next? We learn that he has eaten Taco Bell? No, soup does make me angry, and I'm generally not a soup person, so I must have been quite ill. And I was. It's the noises people make, right? Unlike Aaron Rodgers, I was vaccinated, and I still got sick. Yeah, yeah. How much time do we have, Michael? Okay, JT, always
0: intriguing, writes, Don't be surprised when the New York Times or the WAPO appears to be posting damaging Im- info to Democrats. Instead, ask yourself why they might be doing so at this point. Take the New York Times article about how the Build Back Venezuelan bill was actually closer to $4 trillion than $1.75. Clearly, they got word that Penance, uh, Pelosi was at the end of her rope and ready to hang the far left by their own petard. By publishing the damning details of the francification bill, the Times put pressure on the far-left progressives by making the bill even less attractive than it already was. It also explains why Pelosi put back in the paid family leave she was trying to make the bill less appealing to general voters Mm. while making it appear appear more appealing to the far-left progressive caucus. Over the weekend, the Progressive blanked. Mission accomplished. I'm not sure the mission's been accomplished for America, though, JT. I am afraid that the Dems, knowing they are beyond doomed in the next election, are going to jam this down the American throat. Uh, Phoenix Steve writes, Gents, Greta was at the Scotland gas event. She stated that she wanted Britain to apologize for the Industrial Revolution. What a troll to expand her brand. I imagine the queen saying, uh, sorry, my dear, for pulling billions out of poverty and feeding the planet. I do apologize. And then he, uh, sent along a chart apropos of, well, not nothing, but of, uh, a completely different, uh, topic. In 1980, the inflation, uh, using the inflation method we use now, we'd already hit 15%. What? 19 oh in the 1980 inflation method we've already hit 15 percent almost matching 1980, um in which inflation was rampant right before Reagan took office, um because I think it was fairly recently they started separating out fuel and food okay it might have been recently 20 years ago or 40 years ago I don't know right um but uh, because they're so volatile they can be misleading. But I would say, particularly in the case of food, there's no sign of those uh, price spikes going away.
1: No. I just burnt my tongue on my coffee. I hate when I do that. Really, Sorry, I really hate that. when I do that. Yeah. yeah. I'll do that on coffee uh, now and again. It's uh,
0: pizza that gets me.
1: Mm. Mm. Can't let it cool off because you're too hungry.
0: Because I'm a glutton. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's the sauce that gets you right behind your top teeth, right up there. Oh, that hurts. Wow. Moving along. Blah, 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 uh. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you sassy little thing, you. Uh, Kevin from Placerville, uh, pointed this out, uh, and I think it's a great point talking about, uh, the COVID. Uh, and he's, he's referring back to my story last week where I was unable to see my doctor for, uh, my, my, uh, my annual physical, every six months physical due to overcautious, uh, COVID policies. In in my case, I had a cold, documented a cold. I've been tested multiple times, but because I was sniffly, they oh no no you can't come in don't come in don't even drive by it's too dangerous. And it was only because I had a high blood pressure cuff and decided to take my own BP that I realized my blood pressure had gotten out of control over the last like eight months Hmm. since I'd last consistently checked it. It was so good so often I figured why am I checking this anymore? Um. So anyway. Because I had the sniffles, they wouldn't see me. And and Kevin mentions, why are fully vaccinated hospitals refusing in-person care to patients, asymptomatic or not, due to possible exposure? These policies are counterproductive, will cause countless preventable deaths. There will be millions of missed or late diagnoses around the country due to policies like this, and we're just beginning to see the downstream neg- negative effects. Uh, I would agree. My, my wife actually has a friend, I j- just became aware of this story yesterday, who had a severe upper respiratory infection. It was not COVID. She was tested. Absolutely not COVID. She could not get in to physically see a doctor and be treated. Finally, her doctor reached out to her via email and said, look, call the office. Tell him you got foot pain. Tell him you got back spasms.
1: Tell him anything you want. Get in here and see me. Wow. Interesting. So I have said in the last couple of weeks that COVID makes liars out of a lot of us, Mm. especially if you got kids. Tell me you're not sending your kid to school. With a runny nose or a sore throat or something like that that you think's a cold this time of year. Come on. You're going to keep your kid home every time they've got any cold-like symptom that could be a COVID-like symptom? Of course not. For weeks at a time? Because if you do that, you're immediately committed to like 10 to 14 days out of school. Right. Quarantining. And then everybody you've been around and every kid that's been around them. Same thing with going to the doctor. I have lied about what I think was allergies at the time so I could go into the doctor's office. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to go in. Right, right. And who knows?
0: I mean, like blood pressure, for instance. Maybe you know this. Maybe you don't. It can lead to serious, traumatic, deadly medical problems. How many people in America are not having their blood pressure taken at all because they can't get in to physically see their healthcare providers because of COVID paranoia? I swear. Moving along, totally different topic here. That's the beauty of mailbag, Jack. I don't know if you've ever noticed. We uh, careen from fascinating topic to topic. Awesome. Anonymous here, uh, is a, a, nurse, uh, beautiful, uh, Northern California, Well out doing, uh, chatting with a co-worker. Her 20-year-old daughter came home, currently in, enrolled in the medical assistant program, local community college, shared with us that during her classes today, their teacher presented them with a website to apply for the CalFresh program. This is the, uh, food stamps for California. That they
1: named CalFresh. Yes. To try to hide the fact that it's Food stamps
0: sounds like a bistro, but it's uh, welfare. It's a class uh, with uh, ages ranging from late teens to adulthood presented to them to apply for CalFresh, whether they believe they qualify or not, whether they need it or not. It'll help us get a better idea of those students that we are serving. To top it off, every student was offered a fifty dollars Visa gift card just to apply, fill wow. out the application. Get a... So the government is now bribing people to get on welfare with your money, with your tax money. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I got my pants
1: on. The Armstrong
0: and Getty Show. So here's where we end our careers. Oh, no, not geez. really, not really, not really. The U.S. Navy launched the U.S.N.S. Harvey Milk in San Diego on Saturday, named after the first openly gay man elected a public office ca- office in California.
1: <sighs> and he was a Korean War veteran, volunteered. Served in the military. Mm-hmm. So, he was
0: uh, dishonorably discharged because they asked him about his sexual activity and he wouldn't answer or whatever. Um, and and you could portray him as a victim of anti-gay prejudice uh, back in his day, and all that's fine in terms of naming a ship after him. Ah. I don't know that his naval career had any real distinction in terms of being a a, a good naval uh, officer or sailor or or a leader of men or anything like that. I I just, I don't even
1: know. No, no, Um, him getting a ship named after him seems to me to be completely a, this is how okay we are with gays in the military now. Yeah, it's a giant woke gesture to gays. My problem with the man is that he had
0: a history of of grooming seducing and and molesting minor boys
1: harvey milk very famous as the first openly gay you know uh, uh, elected official in america in san francisco he was assassinated but they always leave out of the fact that he was not assassinated because he was gay they always just let you jump to that conclusion but that's not why he was assassinated
0: it was a personal beef yeah Anyway, uh, there's a famous biography of him, The Mayor of Castro Street, The Life and Times of Harvey Milk, in which the author, Randy Schultz makes clear that he had a predilection for teenage boys. He would find troubled teenage boys, runaways. He would feed them booze and drugs, coerce them into sexual acts and uh in and, and one 25 year old jack lear ended up hanging himself from harvey mill's uh, milk's back porch oh my god in 1978 now we know personally of sexual predators of this sort who target troubled teenage boys uh we may have even worked with one in the past and who ruined lives who seduce drug and rape for their own pleasure without regard to the damage they do it does horrible damage
1: and still, to these kids still going on it's amazing that that seems like to me it's the last uh, uh the the last holdout of not waking up to modernity around this whole me too issue mm-hmm. is the adult gay men and underage Boys, teenage boys.
0: Yeah. 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 You know, Milo Yiannopoulos talked about this and he said, well, there's kind of a thing in the gay community where kids realize they're gay. They don't know what to do, who to turn to, whatever. And they find an older guy who kind of tutors them and lets them know it's okay." blah, blah, blah. He got murdered for that, murdered for discussing it without screaming outrage about its existence at the time because he's conservative. And because you know, he's, he's granted he was a provocateur, and he provoked people, but you remember he tried to describe that situation and was absolutely canceled for it, flayed for it. Conceivably, now you can, there's no consent if somebody's a minor, right? According to every law in the land, right? It's right now. Now, if there's a 19 year old teenage boy and a 17 year old teenage boy, that's a different thing. It's a different thing completely. But to overlook a grown-ass man in his 30s and his 40s seducing teenage boys, drugging them, uh, loading them with alcohol, coercing them into having sex acts, and some of them kill themselves or become uh, hopeless drug addicts, to celebrate that by naming a ship after that person, that's overlooking an awful lot. Can you point out to me a parallel?
1: Well, certainly if you had it the same Story, but it was heterosexual sex. Some 40 year old guy uh, sexing up high school girls. You're not going to get a ship named after you. No. He was also an
0: enormous supporter of, uh, of Jim Jones and the, uh, the Jonestown cult. He praised the cult over and over again, including after the mass suicide. He said it was a great experiment that didn't work. I don't know. Maybe it did. I just, that is how far people will suspend their reasonableness and usual standards to make that sort of gesture. Did the guy also do some good things, some really good things for gay rights? Of course he did. It's been well documented. But it just shocks me that that sort of thing is uh, just overlooked in the name of celebrating something or other.